0: Because you go see a, a film like that and you feel something because of the music. Uh, music, songs, they stick with us. You probably are aware of this. They transport you back in time to a certain time and place, and some of those memories are you're really fond of and some of those you're not, but it'll transport you and give you a certain mood or uh, put you in a place and time and history. But just like every song, there's a theme. There's an aim. and this song... This, if I could call it that, this Christ hymn, its theme or its aim is the humility of Christ and the magnitude of his resurrection. It paints a glorious picture of Jesus as the world's humble king. That's what this psalm, this song paints for us. And I believe that if you let it this morning, this will powerfully transport you back in time. To that moment where Christ not only dies on a cross for us, but where he ascends. He's, he's resurrected from that tomb. And that, what it will do, is it will move you into a place of humility. That's what it will do. It will move you into a place of humility. So let's all stand together as I read these verses uh, here in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. If you'd follow along here with me. This is Paul, he's writing a letter Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, Father. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I think usually on Easter, I mean, even in my history of being able to preach on Easter, we think of triumph. You know, we think of victory, that Jesus defeated sin and Satan and death, and that is extremely true and so necessary. That's essential for your life. That's what we're celebrating today. But uh, this morning, I want us to consider the path that Jesus took to resurrection and what his triumph actually means for himself, what his triumph means for the world, and what his triumph means for you sitting there in that squeaky theater chair this morning, okay? And what I want you to see is that the resurrection of Jesus, the events of the first Easter, they should cause anyone who follows Jesus. He should cause followers of Jesus to be the most humble people on the face of the planet. That because of Easter Sunday, it should cause any of us who would claim Christ this morning and his resurrection. It should cause us to be the most humble people in our communities, in our spheres of influence. And so first, I want us to see this, this pathway to resurrection that Jesus took that we must examine for our own lives, and we see it in verses 5 through 8. We just read it. And, and what was the pathway that Jesus took to Easter Sunday? What did it say there in verses 5 through 8? Well, in verse 6, we see this attitude that Jesus had, and in verses 7 through 8, we see Jesus' actions, okay? His attitude led to his actions. He had a mindset. And actions flowed from that mindset. Once again, it's a great reminder that our actions follow our attitudes. So what was Jesus' attitude along his path to resurrection? Well, we see it in verse 6. It says, he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, Your English translation says that Jesus was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. I mean, this doesn't mean, guys, that Jesus merely looked like God, but wasn't God. That's not what this means. That's not what this word means. The word form means an outward appearance that's consistent with what is true. Okay, so in other words, the form perfectly expresses the inner reality of what was going on in G- with Jesus. I'll put it to you this way. This week was my second favorite holiday of the year. Okay, third. Yes, second. Sorry. I have to keep these in order. Okay. Um, I told you my third favorite holiday a couple weeks ago uh, you know, it was uh, spring forward daylight savings. Love that day. First, obviously, Christmas. Number two, Major League Baseball's opening day, right? Huge holiday in my house. Normally, I take the day off, but with it being Holy Week, didn't have that opportunity. Nonetheless, it's a great day, okay? And I've been a huge San Francisco Giants fan since I was like a little, tiny, tiny kid, okay? I bleed black and orange, all right? Not the kind of black and orange that many of you bleed, though I'm fine with the beavers. I love the beavers. I bleed black and orange. I'm a Giants fan, okay? And so opening day came. I got out my like dingy old Giants shirt, okay? My hat, you know, because that's how I roll. I'm a fan like that. I, my wife makes fun of me, okay? I think it's gonna help the team win for some reason, okay? You would say on opening day, if you saw me in my dingy gear, right? That I would be in the form of a Giants fan, correct? I would be in my appearance showing you that I'm a fan. But that form that I'm, when I'm putting on that shirt and everything, that's just showing you the reality of my heart, right? That I bleed black and orange. It doesn't mean that I'm like faking it, whereas many of you, if you were to put the gear on on that day, you'd totally be faking it, right? Like you wouldn't be like, I'm a Giants fan through and through. And you would therefore be mistaken if you're interpreting this verse in that way. It'd be like like you putting on Giants gear on opening day. But no, this is saying that Jesus put on giant scare on opening day because it was revealing what was true about who he actually was. He was in the form of God. But he was always the eternal son of God and always will be the eternal son of God. He is God. But then it says that he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. Something to be grasped. See, Jesus, guys, he possesses equality with God. He always has and he always will. So Jesus, guys, he had nothing to actually grasp for. He wasn't trying to grasp for equality with God. He already had it. So really, this equality with God was something that he released from his grasp. That's what this is saying to you. This phrase literally means that Christ did not think of his equality as something to use for his own advantage. Instead, he chose to use it for your advantage. See, these truth statements about Jesus, that he was in the form of God, yet didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, it's meant for you to understand and to think of the very first man that God created, Adam. You're supposed to think of this contrast that's going on here. At the beginning of your Bible, in the Garden of Eden, there was the man Adam. And what did he do? Well, who was he? Well, he didn't have equality with God. He wasn't God. He was made in the image of God to reflect the character of God. But he wasn't God. But what did he do? He grasped for that. The temptation in the garden was that he would be like God. He wanted to become like God. He didn't share equality with God, but he still grabbed for it. He tried to clutch it. And so in his temptation, he wanted to be like God, and in turn, he sinned. He turned away from God, and through his act of sin, sin entered the world. And we've experienced the curses of that ever since. But here we see Jesus has equality with God, yet his mindset, his attitude is to actually let go of that grass that is rightfully his, completely unlike Adam, who didn't even have that equality yet grabbed for it. So this is the attitude that that put Jesus on the path to resurrection. What were his actions? We see here that he emptied himself and he humbled himself. These are the two actions of Jesus here in verses 7 through 8. Well, he emptied himself, okay? So does that mean that Jesus ceased to be God? Well, we gain an understanding of what it means that he emptied himself when you just look at the rest of the passage because you see this contrast of Jesus' identity in this passage. In verse 11, it says he's Lord. In verse 7, he's his servant, right? In verse 6, he's in the form of God. In verse 7, he's found in human form, human likeness. This is telling you what it means when Jesus emptied himself. Jesus emptying himself means that God became human, that the Lord became a servant, and that being obedient to his Father drove him to death. See, Jesus emptied himself. He didn't leave behind his deity. He added humanity to his already um, eternal identity. See, he wasn't just human. He took the lowest position amongst humanity. That's what this is telling you here. And we see in verse 7 that he took the lowest position before he even took on his humanity. He took the form of a servant, that's what it says, and then it says he was born in the likeness of men. So he humbled himself, and then he became the lowest of the low amongst all of humanity. In other words, his servanthood preceded his humanity. So what is this pathway that Jesus took to resurrection? It's it's audacious humility. But it doesn't stop there. It still hasn't stopped, guys. No, no, not at all. It climaxes in what we remembered on Good Friday, right? It climaxes in ultimate humiliation. See, Jesus was humiliated in the cross. He was brutally nailed to the cross, and he died. The other day, I was overhearing my children. They were talking about Jesus' death on the cross. So I was just listening in. I was like, oh, what are you going to say? And uh, my son asked, like, you know, why did they have to nail him to the cross? That would have, like, really hurt and my daughter uh, simply said to him, Yeah, they could have just like taped him or something. <laughs> and uh, I should have corrected them, but I, in those moments as a parent, I'm just like, Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, you know, like, that's adorable, right? Why couldn't they just taped him, right? And if they would have merely just taped Jesus to the cross, they're like, hey, It's a humiliating sign. And Jesus, is like, don't worry, I'll do it. Right? It's embarrassing, but tape me to the cross. I'll just be there for a while as a sign of humility but then I'll just get off the cross. No, that's not even like the form of humility that he went to. He didn't just say, yeah, I'll I'll appear humble. No, this this cross was, was a pathway to death for Jesus. His humility, you guys, drove him to the depth of giving his own life for people who weren't even asking for it. See, the dramatic distance that Jesus traveled was from being in the form of God The death on the cross that dramatically reveals the humble mind that Jesus had. You see, it's interesting because humility to us, I think, is definitely a word that, like, warms our hearts. Like, if I got up here this morning, I'm like, I want to talk about humility. It just, like, rolls off the tongue, and you're like, oh, yes, humility, right? It's like we have this positive, warm feeling when we think about humility. We're like, yes, I want to be a humble person, right? Right? But but before the New Testament era, this word, guys, humility, it had a completely, universally negative connotation because it was always only associated with having the mentality of a slave. That's what it meant to be humble. So so the word only meant to, to have this mentality of a slave. So what it would do then is it would convey the idea to people, if you were humble, that you were the lowest of the low, that you were completely unimportant, that you were insignificant, that you were less than. And so during this time, then, humility was not regarded by anybody as a virtue that you would actually want to pursue, but yet Jesus, the greatest person, on the path to resurrection, he embraced humility. It's actually through this pathway that he achieved resurrection. And so I think something that we celebrate as Christians on Easter is that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, when we turn to him, when we turn from our sin and we turn to him with our sin, we, we receive his forgiveness for our sins. And what begins to happen? Our hearts begin to be resurrected. Our hearts begin to experience resurrection right now. And so yes, the resurrection tells anybody who's a believer in Jesus that the sin of your past doesn't define your future. That the struggle that you're experiencing this moment in your present, it's not going to keep you from glory one day with God. That while you may look at yourself and only see your sin and your failure, if that's what you walked in here with this morning, the resurrection says there's more. That the dark night is actually giving way to the dawn. That's what resurrection and Easter Sunday is really all about. But here's the thing. How do we begin to experience this resurrection life with Jesus here and now? How do we experience that? Well, it's through the same path that Jesus took. It's through humility. How do you experience resurrection in your heart? It's through humility. It's through humility. See, we we have to stop grabbing for a position of power, of wanting to play God in our own life. We we have to humble ourselves before God. That's what Easter presents for us. We have to come to a place where we say to God, I am not God. We're in need. God, I'm insufficient. I have this like sin problem and I just can't get free from it. I need help, right? We get to this place where we're actually in a posture of begging. And that's where humility, I think it's really hard. That's where it doesn't feel so warm and fuzzy anymore. Um, show of hands, anybody in this room like to admit it when you fail? Anybody like to admit it when you're wrong, or when you need help? Not one person, sweet. Yes, right? That's the worst, isn't it? I like, uh, when my wife comes home with the groceries, I don't know why, I go out there and I'm like, I'll get these for you. And I literally am the guy who tries to carry in like six bags at once. She's like, do you need help? No, I don't need any help. You know, I'm trying to like minimize the amount of trips that I need to take and I just struggle to get these bags into the house. But even like something as minimal as that and saying, do you need any help? I'm like, no, I don't need any help. I can do this, right? Or just in a different way, Uh, I'm totally a tosser, okay, I'm not a saver. And so my family really hates me for this because I will often just walk around the house and I'll see little toys or pencils or anything, important documents or something, and I just am like, we don't need this, and I just throw it away. And then the moment of embarrassment comes when one of my children or my wife comes up to me, like, hey, have you seen that pencil? You know, have you seen that toy? You know, have you seen that important document? And I'm just like, oh, shoot. You know, internally I'm saying this. But there's that moment of tension where I have to go, my gosh, I have a problem. You know? (laughs) Like, yes, I threw it away. I didn't realize you actually liked that thing. It's always laying around the house making it dirty, right? See, even in a petty moment like that, that's like the minimal end of the spectrum. It just reveals to me, like, humility is hard. It's really hard. But if you want to experience the resurrection of Easter Sunday, it's only through the path of humility. It's by coming to the point where you say, I need God. I am, I'm not sufficient in myself. You have to humble yourself in order to experience that resurrection. So how? How are you going to do that? Well, in verses 9 through 11, show you how this actually happens or will happen someday for you. Let's look again in verses 9. So after the cross, after Good Friday, what happens? Verse 9, Therefore, even... I'll say, Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, all of a sudden, the tone of the song of the hymn it changes. Verses five through eight, the emphasis has been on Jesus; he's the main character. Then all of a sudden it shifts to God, to God the Father to be specific. And we see two statements here that show us God's actions. First, he exalted Jesus to the highest place. But second, he gave Jesus the name that is above every name. So do you notice that? That God exalts Jesus. Jesus didn't even exalt himself. He didn't exalt himself, even now. See, if you believe that Jesus died on Good Friday over two millennia ago, and he triumphantly walked out of the grave three days later, and he never went back into it again. You must ask yourself, how did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, our answer is here. God did it. God exalted him. He didn't just bring Jesus back from the dead, though. We're told that God has highly exalted him. You might interpret this phrase, he exalted him to the highest place. But the word literally means that God super exalted Jesus. He was super exalted. That's like intense, right? I mean, super exalted? I mean, that's not even like exalted. Super exalted. This is what happened to Jesus, right? What does this mean? Did Jesus get a promotion? You know, was he like kind of God and now he's like really God, you know? No, not at all. This is telling you that because of Jesus' obedience, because of his humility, he has been exalted, guys, to a position where now the whole entire world relates to and understands God through Jesus. That's how we come to God. This is how we know God. This is how we understand and relate to God. It's through Jesus. The way that Jesus functions with the world and with all of humanity, with you this morning, right, has been clearly defined for us now. So let me ask you this. What does Easter mean for Jesus? Jesus. Maybe you've never asked yourself that question. Usually I think we get to Easter and we're like, what does Easter mean for me? But what does Easter mean for Jesus? See, here we see Easter Sunday because of the empty tomb. Jesus, guys, Easter for him means that he has been given the name that is above every name. I mean that he is the most significant person in the entire world. No one rivals him. Right? He's been given the highest position. He is king, but not king amongst like rival kingdoms. He isn't just king even over Christians. He is king over the entire world, you guys. That's what Easter means for Jesus. And so because of this, there's two things that are happening right now in the world amongst Christians, or at least should be. And there's the same two things that will eventually happen one day for every single person. What is it? Verse 10, because every knee will bow. And the next verse was to say, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I actually love the way that Paul, who's writing this letter, he describes just like the universal implication of this. Um, he says, everybody's knees will bow. Remember, he's writing this to a church in Philippi, which is like a Greek culture where they had like this pantheon of gods. And I love this. He says, every knee should bow, will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He's basically saying to these people, hey, uh, take whatever God that's worshipped, maybe whatever God you worship, right? Whatever seems important, whatever seems powerful to you right now, things that you worship, angels, deities, dead people, whatever idol this morning that is capturing your heart, whatever it is, take your pick, and one day, even that will bow the knee to Jesus. See, kneeling is is almost always, guys, it's a sign of respect, is it not? That's what it means to kneel. I maybe mean, we once kneeled before kings and queens. Right? We used to kneel at altars, maybe. Some of you still do. We, we kneel to ask someone to marry us. At least we should. Okay. So if you're still thinking of proposing sometime soon, don't try to be cool and different, right? You should still bow the knee to whoever you're asking to be your wife, Right? We, we often kneel to get down onto the same level as a child. We kneel that in that moment, right? We also kneel to beg, don't we? See, here's the same thing, but even more so. Because kneeling is not simply a sign of respect being given to Jesus, but as a sign of submission. This is a sign of acknowledgement that he has rightful reign and rule over your life. That's what this image is conjuring up for us. So we don't just see kneeling though, we also see confessing. There's something happening with our mouths and we know that confession is coming to the place where we come into a moment of agreement with somebody else about what's going on. So if I confess something to you, I am agreeing with you that this is true. And so what's happening here is people are confessing Jesus as Lord, they're confessing him as king. Everyone is agreeing with God that Jesus is the rightful king. That's what's happening here. So guys, this is what this means. This is what Easter means. That one day every knee will bow to Jesus and everyone will confess him as king and as Lord. And so, this morning, we either start bowing and confessing now or one day we will be humbled and we will assume our rightful position on our knees. Guys, Jesus isn't just any king though. Oh my gosh. He's not like an arrogant tyrant who's just looking to abuse you and use you for his own benefit. No, he's, he's the humble king. We just saw that. He uses his position in life. He lets go of that grasp in order to benefit you. And that's where we must see that even this call to bow our knees and confess him as Lord, it's not some awful, dreadful invitation towards surrender. It's a pathway towards true joy. This is the future. And it's coming. And it's meant to invade our present moment. So I think there's many future realities in life that that do inevitably invade our present. And we can realize they're coming um, and get ready for them, or where they can just appear, and then we're really humbled in the moment, right? You guys experience this kind of stuff in life? If We don't let these future realities invade our present. We're often humbled when that future arrives. So for example, Summer weather is coming, people, and you got a taste of it, right? Recently, the sun came out. Uh, we went hiking as a family to Silver Falls yesterday, and the sun like came out for like half a second, and my kids got like sunburnt, right? That's how like pathetic it is. As Oriconians, like the sun touches our skin, we're like, whoa, you know, I can't even handle this, you know. But we got these real refreshers this week. Like summer's coming, summer weather's coming. And we just, you know, endured winter and we're like, I don't know, maybe it won't ever come again, right? That's kind of how we often feel, right? But it's it's coming in every single year. I think about this, you know, when I realize summer's coming or winter's happening, I'm like, you know, what? I should get in better shape, you know, because summer's coming. And, you know, when summer comes, it means I'm going to start wearing less clothing, right? Gonna, don't worry, people, I'm going to be modest. You know, I'm not going to like, I'm not talking about weird stuff, right? Shorts, T-shirts, I'm not wearing tank tops, I'm not dumb like that or something, but I'm not going to wear, you know, a tank top or something. But at the same time, I'm going to wear less clothing or my kids are going to want to go swimming. So I'm going to go swimming, right? And so here's the thing. I can start realizing summer's coming and be like, hey, I better start working out, get a good little dad bod going on, you know, so when summer comes, I'm not humbled, right? But every year summer comes and it's like we're going to the pool and I'm like, dang it, right? Shoot. Why this year? Again, out of every year, I'm like, oh my gosh, summer does come every year. Believe it or not, it comes. And everyone goes swimming, okay? Right, so summer could hit me. The future of summer could hit me. In that moment, I'll be completely humbled. Or I can realize it's coming and start rehearsing for that day even right now, right? See, Luke 14, 11 says this, you guys. It says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever Humbles himself, will be exalted. And you notice those two words, will be humbled, will be exalted, those are passive verbs, meaning that's going to happen to you. You're not going to choose that. God's going to do that to you on that great day when you see Jesus as really the glorious resurrected king face-to-face. And so we have this invitation because those first verbs in that sentence are active as you, Whoever humbles himself will be exalted on that day when you see Jesus. Whoever exalts himself now won't humble himself and say, I have no needs. I don't need God. One day we will be humbled. See, I'm not sure where you're at this morning. I mean, Easter Sunday, guys, this is a great holiday for many people. For many of you, it's a family holiday. It's a day to wear way too brightly colored clothes or to hunt for eggs in your mom's backyard or something, right? But it's a day where we remember that Jesus is super exalted through the path of humility. And therefore, it's a day where we are invited to start rehearsing for the ultimate day when his lordship will be known by everybody. So if you humble yourself now, if you walk the path of humility that Jesus walked, you will be exalted. But if you refuse Jesus' good rule and reign, you will one day be humbled. And Easter is an invitation to let summer invade your present weather of winter that you might be experiencing. It's an invitation to have this resurrected mind. See, this is what we're called to this morning if you believe in the resurrected Jesus. It's it's, it's to have the same mind of humility. Look again in verse 5, what does he say? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This literally means, Paul says, think this in you which Christ thought in him. Think this in you which Christ thought in him, this, this idea of humility. See, Easter Sunday, guys, is the moment when God begins to create the most humble people on the face of the planet. That's one of the biggest realities of this day. Because we we follow the pathway of Jesus, but that pathway ends with us encountering the super-exalted, resurrected Jesus. And when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, we bow and we confess. See, herein lies what it means to be a Christian. Like, if you're here this morning, you're like, he is risen indeed, and you're celebrating that, right? To be a Christian on Easter means that we are people who are moment by moment bowing and confessing, following Jesus by the natural effects of Easter. Guys, it's a, it's a pathway to humility. is the path we're on. So if you ever hike, for example, you know that when you take a path, that's going to lead you somewhere, right? And you know when you take that specific path that you're promised to see something. Maybe you've seen it before, Maybe you've never seen it, but you've been told what you're going to see when you get there. And you know then you're not going to see other things. So earlier this week, uh, our family went hiking up at Chipros Park, which is a tiny hike, right? Okay? But for our family, that was quite an accomplishment, especially kids of our age. And so um, we know that going on that hike, it's going to take you to a point where you're going to see Corvallis. You're going to look out at the top, and you are going to see Corvallis. There wasn't any thought in me or Liz's mind that was like, Maybe we'll see Buckingham Palace, you know? Maybe we'll see, like, the Himalayas, you know? I didn't promise my kids that they would see Disneyland when they got to the top, although maybe I should have because Gus grum- grumbled the whole time, you know? It's like, I hate this walking thing, you know, he kept saying that, okay? But in the same way, okay, if you, if you follow the path of Jesus, we must realize that that path is a path of humility, And that path leads us to a place where we end up on our knees because the view at the top is beholding the resurrected, humble king. And once we've seen his humility, guys, let me tell you, I think we will want to bow our knees because we know that he is trustworthy and good because we saw him with the eyes of our heart. Open his hands to the grasp that was rightfully his. And he used his position for your benefit this morning. See, here's the key. This is why the resurrection, I think, creates the most humble people. Because if you believe in Jesus as the resurrected king, it'll make you humble. Why? Because you'll bow your knee. Let me tell you, it's really hard to be proud when you're on your knee. Isn't it? It's really hard. I would dare, dare say it's impossible to be really proud when your knee, whether it's physical or your heart, is postured on its knee. So Easter dramatically changes your life, guys, and how you relate to every single person in this room, people that you don't even know. It changes how you relate to people in your family, whether you're going to see them today or not. It changes the way that you're going to relate to people as you walk out on those streets that you don't even know. Because Christ's humility and his exaltation, guys, it becomes the new standard for how we evaluate the worth of other people. It changes the standard for how we act towards them. Because we see that there was never anyone too low for Jesus to consider as more important than himself. Right? He He even considered you more important than himself. That's what humility does. And when we see that all of us one day will be on our knees, if you could imagine this moment where we're all on our knees before Jesus, kneeling and confessing, we would see that there's no one left standing, that the level, the playing field has been completely leveled. There's no more proud people. The resurrection levels the playing field, so no more caste systems. No more saying, I'm more significant than you. No more saying, I could never do that kind of work. We will will see that every one of us before the humble king are on the same playing field. Do you you see how the resurrection changes your life this morning? It brings you to a place of bowing, of kneeling. And when you bow the knee, guys, in your marriage today, you won't be waiting for your spouse to admit their faults to you. You'll initiate the confession. You'll stop making demands of them to, to change, and you'll start asking God to change you. Right, you'll stop putting yourself in the judgment seat and you'll posture yourself towards them with this humble, loving service. When you, when you bow the knee in your parenting, you're not going to care about your kid's behavior merely in the way that it projects your image to other people. Right, you'll posture yourself low in, in front of them and you'll realize that that behavior is pointing to their hearts and you will just be begging God to start doing a lifelong work in their heart. You'll stop just making demands of your kids all the time and pointing out their imperfections and you'll start confessing your own sin to them. I think when you bow the knee in your workplace, you're not going to complain all the time about how you are underappreciated or how someone else is getting a promotion or the attention, but you'll begin to celebrate with the person that does because your heart is for them. You will be willing to do any kind of work in the world and you'll believe that you are not above that kind of work. When you bow the knee amongst people in the world who aren't believers, who aren't waking up this morning and basking in the glow of Jesus' resurrection, it'll change the way you relate to people like that because you won't posture yourself towards them with judgment. You won't distance yourself from them as if you're smart and they're foolish. You will posture yourself before them with humility. And you'll see that yes, at even times, you can learn something from them, and the only difference between you and them is actually, it's grace, that's it. It's the only difference. And then maybe, just maybe, you're kneeling and confessing through your humble living and not grabbing for a godlike position. Maybe, just maybe, they will come to the place where they will begin to rehearse just like you, for that great day when we will see our resurrected Savior, our humble King, face-to-face like you can stare at me right now. And maybe on that day they won't be humbled, but they will be exalted because they humbled themselves today. See, the path to resurrection living is an opportunity to show the world, guys, a whole different way of living. And when we come to the empty tomb of Jesus this morning with the eyes of our heart, we find a humble King, And that humble king is calling us into a humble life where the way down is the way up. It's a completely counterintuitive way to how our hearts have been trained in this world. It is. Um, I I read an article this week about a guy named Ron uh, Pinkerton. Awesome name. He was a pilot. Okay. And one day he was hang gliding and he just jumped off the edge of a cliff. It was 4,200 feet hang gliding in the air. Okay. I would never do this, okay, but this guy does, okay? And this is why I would never do this, because all of a sudden a gust of wind just came barreling down on him in this downward wind. He was caught in this airborne riptide, and he was just plummeting to his eventual death on Earth, okay? And this guy knows everything about flying, and so he's just like crashing to Earth, can't seem to like break free from this downward wind, and all of a sudden he's like, I'm it, this is it, this is how I go, right? And he's seeing himself coming closer and faster and faster to Earth, And all of a sudden, he says, he looks over, and he sees this red-tailed hawk who's fighting the same downward wind that he's fighting. And he's like, oh, my gosh, look at him, too, and blah, blah, and we're all going to die and stuff. And then he gets to just a few hundred feet left, and all of a sudden, he looks over at that red-tailed hawk again, and he notices something happened with this hawk. He says, the hawk all of a sudden barreled in and flew straight downwind instead of trying to fight the gust. Instead of trying to go up, he said, I'm just going to... Follow the downwind. He instantly thought, like, gosh, this hawk is just committing suicide, right? He's just trying to, you know, quicken his own death. And then all of a sudden, though, he had this moment, which I'm guessing you're just thinking these things so fast. He just thought, follow the hawk. Follow the hawk. He said it went against everything that he ever knew about flying, and then right then, all of a sudden, as he followed the hawk, he just pointed straight downwind. He said the hawk all of a sudden just started gaining altitude. And then he said, I felt myself completely almost like suspended in the air. And then all of a sudden this gust of wind just came up and lifted me into elevation again. And he said, I have no idea of how this happened. I can't explain it in any way. All I know is it did happen. It's completely counterintuitive the entire way that I understand the world, the way that I understand in my training, the way this thing works. But he thought, I just follow the hawk. And it saved his life. I I just tell you that simple story because I think that story illustrates Philippians 2 for us perfectly. We really don't believe that the way up is the way down. That we must humble ourselves if one day we will truly be exalted. That humility is the path to true resurrected living this morning. And that Jesus is the hawk. You look at the path he took to resurrection, although it wars against all the training that you've ever received in this world, it's my hope that you will hear the voice this morning, which is the voice of God saying to you, follow the hawk. Follow Jesus. For those who follow Jesus in this life, guys, we understand that Easter Sunday, God is creating the most humble people on the planet. He is. Why? Because we bow our knees to the greatest of all kings. He's the highest of kings, but he was also the lowest amongst all of us. He's the humble king. If you would join me in prayer as we go into our time of response.